We're gathered here today in the presence of God and in the sight of all these witnesses to unite Blair Eliakim Lancaster and Melanie Ann Barbieri in the sacred covenant of marriage. Thank you all for joining us to inaugurate this new couple into a special kind of love, a love that sadly has become a rare treasure in the days in which we live. Yet for a tenacious few who still take their stand for the endangered species known as traditional marriage, family, and community, this uncommon kind of selfless love continues to prove itself the way that leads to life. So we take heart today that God has always had a remnant, a steadfast band of overcomers who have tested and proven this love, even borne it out to the edge of doom for the privilege of daily living its miracle. And so again, we welcome all of you, faithful members of that remnant who've come here today to bear witness as we induct two more souls into a new unit in the beleaguered but determined army of love. Without the example and support of the veterans, new recruits are destined to fail. But you, dear, wonderful family and friends, have supplied this couple with everything they need to succeed. And they and we, their parents, are forever indebted to you. Visitors to our community are often astonished at both the quality and the sheer volume of the gifts typically showered on newlyweds here. I remember that when Amanda and I returned from our honeymoon and began our new life together nearly 25 years ago, we tried in vain to think of one single thing we lacked after the overwhelming and humbling generosity of God's people. Only when fixing dinner a few days later was Amanda finally able to identify an item we had not received. It turns out we didn't have a potato masher. <laughs> Did you guys get a potato masher? <laughs> we need to make sure that gets on the list. I come from a, a long line of Irish potato farmers. You can't be married without a potato masher. <laughs> but seriously, that was the only thing we ever thought of that it seemed like, oh, I wish we had one of those. From the looks of things uh, the past couple weeks, Blair and Melanie are headed for a similar experience. <laughs> Nevertheless, as incredible as your generosity has been towards them, it isn't all the practical items you gave that they and we are the most grateful for today. Rather, it is all your selfless love, your undying faith and encouragement, your grace and mercy that brought us through. For these, we simply cannot thank you enough. I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about. Nearly two years ago, with a heavy heart, I placed a difficult phone call to Deary, Idaho. I told Brother Brian that one of my sons was desperately in need of a new start. It wasn't going to be easy. Would he even consider taking my son in for a season? I was painfully aware of the magnitude of my request. If it weren't possible, I would definitely understand. There was his own family to think about, and so much more. I will never forget his response. Not a flicker of hesitation. Brother Dan, 
After all God and his people have done for me when I was down and out and totally unworthy, the least I can do is to try to help someone else discover the grace and mercy that turned my life around. I could never pay back the debt I owe. It will be a privilege and an honor to help. Send him up here. We'll do whatever it takes. All my pathetic attempts to thank him were shrugged off with similar words. I got off the phone in tears and for the thousandth time poured out my thanks to God for planting my family and me among the remnant of the redeemed, wherein we've come to know what love truly is. Where else than among the forgiven is it more clearly demonstrated that all things work together for the good, for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. This can be so because each member of the brotherhood of the redeemed takes all the lessons of their own regrets and failures and pours them back into the great reservoir of love to help the next one in need. Receiving mercy for one's sins results in showing mercy to others. Overcoming personal mistakes translates into wisdom and faith for our brother to do the same. Enduring under fiery trials produces empathy for others who suffer and a testimony of hope and victory for those still in the valley of the shadow. In our short-sighted human thinking, we prefer that God merely forget our failures and weaknesses. We want him to somehow magically erase all consequences, to pretend as if our problems never happened. But he is too great to settle for this. In his unsearchable wisdom, he has set about not merely to ignore, but to transform our shortfalls into tools that ultimately further his great purpose on the earth. One of my favorite poems written by Dorothy Sayers begins with these words. All things God can do, but this thing he will not. Unbind the chain of cause and consequence or speed time's arrow backward. She goes on to describe how God's integrity and consistency of character required that only the incarnation and the sacrifice of himself could reconcile sinful humanity to their maker. And so, she says, he did not shirk one moment of the ineluctable load of the years, but from the griefs of time wrought out the splendor of his eternity. There is no waste with God. He cancels nothing but redeems all. And so perhaps the most fitting adjective to describe this special kind of love that we celebrate and initiate today is redeeming, redeeming love. This calls to mind the final stanza of a favorite hymn, Redeeming Love Has Been My Theme. Redeeming love has been my theme and shall be till I die. In musical terms, a theme is a melody that is prominent and frequently recurring throughout a composition and typically played at the beginning and at the end. In this sense, we can say that redeeming love is the theme of the Bible. It's the theme of the church. And as you can probably guess, I'm suggesting today 
that it's the theme of a successful marriage. Indeed, it is the theme of every life authentically lived unto God, for it is the essence of God's character. It is the plot of His story. The New Testament begins by recounting God's unfolding story throughout the generations, tracing the genealogy of Jesus in the first chapter of Matthew. Brother Ossi once pointed out to me the curious fact that only four women in Jesus' lineage are recorded there prior to his mother, Mary. Why did these four women merit mention? They were not the type who would have been voted most likely to succeed. In fact, on the face of it, it would seem none of them should have been part of the story in the first place. Two of them were not even Hebrews. The four names are Tamar, whose shameful and pitiful story is recounted in Genesis, Rahab, the Canaanite harlot from Jericho, Ruth, the widow from the accursed people of Moab, and Bathsheba, the adulteress. It seems that Matthew's insertion of those particular names in his genealogy of the Savior, despite their backgrounds and failures, may well have been intended to remind his readers that redeeming love has always been God's theme. He cancels nothing, but redeems all. Blair and Melanie, you're not strangers to failure or the need for redemption. You've known deep disappointment with yourselves and with others close to you. You're not unacquainted with tragedy and pain. During the recent weeks of your engagement, both of your families have suffered difficult losses. You faced the perennial choice of how to respond to adversity, and you're familiar with the consequences of those choices, whether to turn in or to turn out, to selfishly exacerbate the pain or to become vessels of grace and mercy to help others in time of need. I want to tell you plainly today that marriage will not insulate you from further trials. It is not your ticket to a carefree future. On the contrary, the Apostle Paul specifically warned that those who marry will face many troubles in this life. Nor will marriage automatically or magically transform you into selfless people. Marriage is simply a new context in which to bear out your enduring commitment to the course of daily dying to self, a new expression of the pledge you both have already made to Jesus. So the choice is yours again today, and the choice will be yours every day in all things small and great. But if you'll continue to yield yourselves to the empowering Spirit of God and become servants of this special kind of love to each other, you'll also discover the truth of Solomon's words that two are better than one. For if either of them falls, one can help the other up. And so your commitment to one another today will form a vital part in helping you maintain and perpetuate the theme of the redeemed. Many here today can testify about you two, that from the time you were babies, both of you have had plenty of spunk, sparkle, and spizzerinktum. <laughs> that is in the dictionary, I looked it up. Did I hear an amen? <laughs> yeah. We love your passion, your enthusiasm, your spontaneity, 
especially as you have yielded yourselves with abandon to Jesus. And part of your commitment today is that all of that energy will remain channeled in a specific direction, and that direction is always out, away from self. For redeeming love only exists for the sake of another. It always has a purpose, a destination, an object of its care and concern. So it constantly gives, it reaches, it speaks. It doesn't just suffer, it suffers for. It doesn't just endure, it endures for. It hopes for, it believes for. Indeed, Paul defined this mission as the very nature of the love seen in a godly marriage when he wrote, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So redeeming love is by nature self-sacrificial. It's a constant, unreserved outpouring of ourselves for the sake of another. All too often, people act as if love must be measured out sparingly, as a limited resource that must be carefully rationed, lest it exhaust and deplete the giver. What a recipe for failure. On the contrary, the book of Proverbs tells us that one person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds what he should give, but only suffers want. The generous soul will be made rich, and he who waters will himself be watered. Jesus confirmed this when he said, Give, and it will be given to you. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So it is in giving that we receive. It will always be so. It is the timeless way of redeeming love. Remember the story of Ruth, one of the four women I mentioned earlier. She made a voluntary, deliberately selfless choice that proved to be the turning point that broke the curse of her ancestry and eventually grafted her into the lineage of the Messiah. That choice was immortalized in her poignant words of covenant commitment. Wherever you go, I will go. And may the Lord deal with me, be it ever more severely, if anything but death separates me from you. Today, we often quote her words as an expression of the marriage covenant, but they were actually spoken as a commitment to serve her bereaved mother-in-law. Ruth had had a close-up view of Naomi's tragic life. Driven from her homeland by famine, then losing not only her husband, but both of her sons in a foreign land. Though Naomi entreated her to stay where life was comfortable and familiar, rather than accompany her to Israel, it seems as if Ruth must have determined in her heart, this woman has been through so much. I'm making it my life's mission to show her that there is at least one person in this world who cares enough to stick with her no matter what. Where there's despair, let me bring hope. Where there is pain, let me bring comfort. Lord, make me an instrument of peace. Little did Ruth suspect that this selfless choice to serve the least of these would inaugurate her into the great company of the redeemed and grant her an everlasting place in God's unfolding story. She couldn't have known it then, but her covenant commitment would eventually result in strands of her own DNA coursing through the veins of the man from Galilee, the ultimate redeemer of us all. And now the two of you have come here today to make your own commitment to perpetuate the generations of the redeemed. 
Your task is not to be original or unique. The Apostle John wrote that we're able to love only because we have first been loved. Jesus said, the one who's been forgiven much loves much. So we believe for others because someone believed for us. We endure because others endured for us. We keep no record of wrongs because someone erased our own record and gave us a new start. Thus, Brother Brian's answer to me on the phone that day, his eagerness to give and help was framed in terms of what Jesus and his people had given for him. He knew he was but one link in a long chain reaction of redemption, and he wasn't going to let it stop with him. And that's my charge to the two of you. Pass it on. Freely you have received, freely give. Let the theme sound and resound between you, harmonizing your lives in a symphony of grace that bears witness to everyone you meet. Follow the examples who've gone before you, those for whom redeeming love is a conviction, a way of life. You see, some of us have already lived through too many chapters in this great story of redemption to ever say there's a hopeless cause. There are just too many unlikely names already written in the genealogy. Just ask all the witnesses around you today. Ask your Uncle Simeon. Ask your own parents. Ask Brother Brian. You know you can't talk to him for long before you'll hear once again just how lost he once was, how hopeless he felt lying on that hospital bed under the sentence of death, reaping the tragic fruit of years of his failures. Then you'll hear how Brother Tony never gave up on him, never stopped loving him, never stopped praying for him and speaking the truth to him until love won the day. But then you can't talk for long with Brother Tony before you'll hear him tell about how lost he was decades ago back in New Jersey until God sent him an ambassador of the Redeemer named Brother Blair. So it was your namesake, Blair, who loved Brother Tony through failures and setbacks, always believing that the man of God we now see in him was surely being forged through those very trials. And you know that's how your granddaddy felt about you. And we know that's how he felt about pretty much everybody in here. What a difference one champion of redeeming love can make in the world. And Brother Blair, in turn, to the very end of his life, would speak with great feeling about those who first brought Jesus to his broken life over 50 years ago. So the genealogy of the redeemed goes on, threading its way through the layers of time, weaving the lights and the darks, into a tapestry of hope and faith that forms the backdrop of the commitment you two young people will make today. Yes, a great cloud of witnesses gathers around you today, some seated in this room and some already seated in the balcony of eternity, urging you to faithfully carry their theme till the day you die. So, the question before you that will determine your success is, how much honor do you hold in your hearts today for the redeeming love that has given you life and brought you to this day? This love is fragile and precious. All you have to do to lose it is nothing. Just treat it carelessly, casually, take it for granted, default to selfishness, and you'll watch the dream disappear and the chance of a lifetime wasted. But as long as this love 
grows inside of you, nothing can defeat you. Cherish it, nurture it, stay faithful to your commitment at any cost, and you too can live the miracle. Now, before we proceed to the marriage vows, I want to ask Helen to sing one more song. There's a miracle in store for you. Is a me- 